0: and welcome back to the Rough Trade Edit podcast. So my efforts to A, get back on track with regards to the scheduling of the podcast and B, get Nigel back on board with the recording of the podcast have failed fairly miserably since you last heard from me. But you know, Rome weren't built in a day and it wouldn't be in the spirit of 2020 if everything went according to plan. Um, But anyway, I'm sure those things will fall into place. Certainly the scheduling will. I'm desperate to get Nigel back I'm going to keep working on that but you know restrictions permitting we'll see how we get on Um, but the main thing is that we are here now and we have flavour of the month and musical heavyweights Idols crowned our top album for October and to celebrate I had a fun zoom call with Joe from the band who chatted fondly of new album Ultra Mono in between chomps on a hotel cafe croissant Um, that one is coming up for you a little later on after these rather lovely rough trade edit album highlights So first up, we have the dreamy Fen Lily, whose debut album Breach on Dead Oceans is an expansive, diaristic, frequently sardonic record that deals with the mess and the catharsis of entering your 20s and finding peace while being alone. Um, It's a deeply beautiful record. It's certainly one to cozy up to. Fen also did a really wonderful mini set for us, which you can watch over on our at Rough Trade Instagram. So do go check that one out. She is bloody awesome. Here's a little preview from the album. This is I Used to Hate My Body But Now I Just Hate You, a title that could have been lifted from a Courtney Barnett song sheet, no doubt, I think. Wouldn't you agree? But anyway, here we go. Here's Fen. When I'm lonely, i
1: smoke sleep So fine is running cold but it's deep. Finish just
0: hate you next up and a certain ratio are back with their first new album in 12 years acr loco is an album to dance to to cry to to fall in love to and most importantly to party to so the core acr members are joined by some super special guests Um, here, including Factory Floor's Gabe Guernsey, who you might remember was an album of the month for us back in 2018. Um, It is safe to say ACR Loco maintains a certain ratio status as funkiest post-punk band you'll ever, ever hear. Um, My favourite track on the record is the track called Family, which features the amazing vocals of the late Denise Johnson, who was a touring member of ACR for many, many years so as a little tribute to her i'm gonna play a little preview of family here we go Next up, and we have Melbourne's Mildlife, whose evolution from debut album Phase sees them more disciplined, directional, and arguably more danceable than ever before on follow-up automatic. This is such a groovy record, which will help the dying ebbs of summer draw out for that much longer if only you give this baby a spin. There are just six tracks on this album, but don't let that fool you. It is short, but it is a sweet, sweet listen. I'm gonna play a track and I've gotta choose. Yeah, I've gotta choose the title track. Here we go. Here's Life with Automatic. Finally this week we have Mammal Hands who draw on spiritual jazz, North Indian folk and classical music to create something totally their own. New album Captured Spirits is super, super captivating and Mammal Hands offers something really, really different. Their music puts you in this sort of beautiful trance that you are just very, very willing to submit to and listen to it. Check out this little piece of paradise. This is Mammal Hands and Chaser. we go another round of rough trade edit highlights to wet your eardrum appetites this week you can as always browse our full curation both online and in store with new albums dropping in every friday so to close the show this week early in september i in fact it was the morning after idols had performed their live streamed gig at abbey road studios um i jumped on the phone with frontman joe talbot to discuss all things ultra mono success unity and self-assessment thank you so so much for listening enjoy this one with joe and i will catch you in a couple of weeks Joe, welcome to the Rattro Edit Podcast. Thank you so, so much for taking the time out to chat to us today. I know you've just come off a heavy weekend of performing, finally, um, in Abbey Road for the live stream session. Mm. Um, how'd that go? I imagine it was, was it pretty surreal, like, being together again and playing live, albeit for an audience that you couldn't see?
1: Uh, hello. Thanks for having me. Yes. <laughs> it was weird the lighting set up by the film crew uh friends of ours made it it look like a giant microscope i felt like a little ant in a petri dish um so yeah it was it's intensive you know and we we wanted we want it to be the best it can be which is nerve-wracking when you haven't You've only been practicing for a month, you know. We did 192 shows last year, and this year we've done none, okay. Well, three now. Yeah. So, like, we were, we were understandably rusty, but I, I want everyone to feel like they're getting their money's worth. So it was good. It was a good challenge. I'm glad it's over.
0: <laughs> Is it weird that you can like, I guess, see people's reaction? Is that quite?
1: A different you can with? Yeah. Our shows are very much a dialogue, you know? Like, we, 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 we bleed off, yeah, we, we feed off each other, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, it's a very one-way thing. But we wanted it to be different to a show, you know? We didn't want to try and pretend it was a live show. We yeah. wanted to give people the sense that they were watching an intimate test on us. It was, it was a document in time of us trying our best not to be shit, This is what it was. That's what we wanted it to be. It's like a lock-in. You're locked in on us. It's like, you know, no escape. We are under the cosh and everyone's there to see it. And that was, it was, it was stressful, but it was invigorating and we needed it. I think your
0: fans probably needed it too.
1: Well, that's, that's a nice thing to think, isn't it? Yeah.
0: How are you and the band doing personally this year? I mean, it's no secret it has had a huge effect on live music and kind of the arts community. Are you kind of keeping buoyant? Has the album kind of given you maybe a bit of solace and kind of focus outside of the pandemic
1: bubble? Yeah, I mean, I'm not one of those people that, like, I don't have like this big picture complex where I worry about things out of my control in that sense. What I do to be at peace is always to have a a six to 12 month plan Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and to stick to that plan. So when it happens, we just changed that six to 12 month plan. Um, immediately, well in advance of it being shut down, we knew it was going to happen, so we put everything we could in place to to stay biddy, sorry, to stay busy, and also to show our gratitude, just how fucking lucky we are, mm. because we're one of the zero point zero one percent bands that could just carry on. You know, we knew that people were going to buy our album on pre-sale. Mm. You know, we knew that we could do a Couple of like YouTube channel TV show type things, and you know, just keep people connected and, and, and entertain ourselves as well as our audience. We're just really grateful that we can. So, we did as much as we could in that time, as well as stay sane. And, like, you know, personally, I started going for walk three hour walks every morning, um, and start c- continued boxing and, and all that stuff, but mm. like. Underneath is just a sense of relief that we, we're lucky enough to be able to can, continue being musicians. Um, and, you know, we, we can't predict the future, but we're all right for now. And we're really, really grateful. Yeah. But it's, it's all right, you know, like a lot of people around me, no one I know, I've got friends who have, like, whose careers are completely in turmoil, but they're not like starving to death. But everyone I know is kind of taking it as a as a point of just staying sane, really, mm-hmm. and healthy, because um, it's a long haul and there's a lot to process. It's a lot of grieving going on, you know. So uh, yeah, we just kept afloat and kept grateful. Can't.
0: Um So where? At the time of recording, just over, I think, three weeks out of the release of Ultra Mono, the third album. Um, I was reading um, the essay that you wrote, which was included on the inside of the album packaging. And it really honestly kind of explores the new writing on the album. Um, to me, it's kind of sharing this awareness of an appreciation of which you kind of just spoke about there, uh, the success that you've achieved as a band so far, um, as well as this awesome admiration for the community that's been born around you. Yeah. Just rewinding back to when Joy as an Act of Resistance came out in 2018, did you ever get a sense of, because you spoke about the fact that you have this kind of plan, we always do this plan, did you ever get a sense of just how big that was going to be before it was released? Is that something that you were ever or could ever prepare for?
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You've got to prepare for it. Like, put it this way, like a campaign like that, like obviously our, our album campaigns are nowhere near as expensive as other bands our level. Like we, we, our team, like my, my best friend Marco, our manager, doesn't spend loads of... Bat shit money on shit that you know not going to get loads of billboard adverts everywhere that no one's going to look at not yeah. to say we didn't do billboards but you just do them in the right place and you, you mindfully choose what goes on them and you don't you know we're like we're, we're, we're a certain kind of band with a certain kind of audience which means we can be playful with our campaign and, and we rely on we've, we, we survived on word of mouth for so long that we don't need to enter ourselves in that world as much. It's not to say that you we haven't, with Vulture spent money on our campaign. Mm-hmm. But whatever, you spend over 500 quid on a campaign, it's expensive, right? Really, realistically, it's a lot of money. So you put that money into a campaign, you're obviously doing it for a reason, because you think it's gonna help spread the, the message of your album, sell more copies of your album, get more people to your shows. With that in mind you've got to book your shows at least 6 months in advance anyway sure so you've got you got to back your own horse you've got to be like yeah now we we're we're, uh, we're uh, uh i'm trying to think of what that venue's fucking called now
0: <laughs> the one
1: no the one before that the fascist headquarters in london it used to be a fascist fascist um headquarters in brixton not, no, it's it's smaller. It's the one that it's got a big eagle. It's like, it was either Nazi or um, the fascist group. Oh,
0: uh, I I should know this.
1: Yeah, it's, you, you know the venue. Yeah. It was used in in the scene. I think it is anyway. In uh, uh, Peaky Blinders, apparently I haven't seen it. Oh. I, I'm oh, like way. I didn't know. No, it was that building. I've seen the episode. Yeah. Anyway basically um you gotta book the, those venues in advance estimating what how many tickets you're going to be worth mm-hmm. you're not selling that at that point because your album's not out journalists don't write about you until you've released an album really um unless you like Woolish. I mean. yeah. so like you've got you've got to back your own horse and you've got to believe in yourself because you've got to book those venues and you got you gotta spend that money on a campaign So we're always realistic and we're always optimistic because, you know, we've got a loyal audience and we have done for a long time. And you can kind of build your own future when you get to a certain point anyway. you just got to be savvy with what you do and how you do it. Um, We've always built our shit on the fact that we really love doing it and we show how much we love it in our art and people can see that a mile off and get involved it's why we call it the locking Sessions that I like, because it's like we've always just seen it as we, we have a lock-in, we keep the door unlocked, people see through the window and see how much of a good time we're having, and then they want to get involved, so they come in. And that's what we've always been about. I, kn- I knew we were going to get to a point where we'd be like this, because it was heading that way. It's, it's, a, it's a incremental growth, and you can see the growth because the rooms are getting wider. <laughs> um, so unless you start writing shit music you're all right
0: in the essay you say that you began assessing yourself by what you had created and not who you were um, I wondered if that is something you hope to keep a closer tab on as idols move forward or do you think it's something that all artists kind of contend with quite constantly
1: no I think, I think a lot of artists are a lot more confident than I am um, I mean, I know that for a fact because I speak to a lot of them. And like you know, um, people deal with things in very different ways, and are better at things than others, or co- cope more healthily with things than others, and worse than others, whatever. Um, I personally, you know, I'm progressing. Definitely, I'm not regressing. I'm, I'm much more confident. Having a daughter has given me a, a sense of purpose beyond the music, which means I give way less of a shit about what people think of me now, Mm -hmm. Um, but not in a careless way. I still care about how I project myself and how I act and and who I surround myself by. I still care deeply about that, but I don't care. Like I don't give a shit about these like bullies, snitches, Mm -hmm. um, I don't care about them. I don't care about, like, the rats, you know? Like, they're just rats. They're always going to be there, sneering with their fingers on the keyboard whilst their sad life dissolves around them. Like, fuck them. It just took me a while to realise that they're, they're miserable and they hate themselves and they're just trying to make me feel something. So yeah. they, have, they have deep-seated issues.
0: So when you first started putting music out then, did you feel like you, your v- validity, if you like, was almost in the hands of some of these people? Or,
1: yeah, yeah I, 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 was, I was really upset by people telling the world about what my intentions were and what my art meant, what I meant in the art, you know, not what, what it meant to them if you turn around and say, Joe, Idols was just shit. I hate your music. I'd be like, that's fair. It's music. You're not supposed to all like it. Yeah. But when, when, if you turn around and tell everyone what my, what I meant at the time and that, you know, I'm virtue signaling this, or I'm pretending to be working class or I'm like, How am I? Fuck. You just like, you don't get it. You don't get it. That's, that's the issue. Not that I'm, this or I'm that, you're you're reading my shit wrong. That's what's happening. But instead of getting upset by it and trying to fight it, you just go, well, of course, you're making art. Mm -hmm. It's going to be perceived however anyone wants to perceive it. So why are you getting pissy about it? Mm -hmm. Stop getting pissy.
0: (laughs) You talk a lot about um, unity and kind of a wonderful representation of that in this new album is this kind of wealth of featured artists that you have. So I wondered if you'd tell me a little bit about the people who feature on the record and kind of how those relationships started. But I know you've got your mate Jenny Beth on there. She spoke about you and I spoke to her back in March for her record. That seems like a really
1: nice thing. Well, let's start with Jenny Beth, because I love her. Um, We went to see her in Paris TV show so I'm going to finish eating because it's like (laughs) it's the most un what's the word audible? yeah it's it's fucking awful for people listening to a podcast I really apologise I'm going to stop I'm one of those people that if I see food that's mine I can't not eat it immediately which is why I literally will eat a whole packet of chocolate hobnobs if I buy one Instead Of having three, like a normal human being, apologies for the croissant gate. Croissant gate is over.
0: <laughs> we were talking about Paris though, so kind of fitting,
1: contextual. I like it.
0: Um,
1: so yeah, we went. I love Jenny Beth, and she's now a friend. And um, we were on her show Echoes, uh, on Arte TV, and um. I was chatting to Jenny about uh, the song, Le Touche Parmoire, and she started laughing, saying that that's not the right French. And I had a panic attack. Um, <laughs> uh, not literally. Um, sorry if I offended anyone who has panic attacks. I have panic attacks sometimes, so I understand the pain of it. It was nothing like that, but the, the fear was real. So I had a panic attack. <laughs> Uh, and um and then i she she, jenny calmed me down and said like you know it's fine they'll they'll get it also you should keep it because it's more honest and like more primal to just have like bad french do you know what i mean
0: yeah
1: and i was like yeah that like that is true and ultra mono is about momentary acceptance of the self so to then go back and correct something because it's not right is completely the antithesis of what the album is Mm-hmm. So I was like, fuck it, I'll keep it. But I was like, I, I was thinking about getting a, a female vocal on that song anyway, for the perspective of what that song means from the female perspective. Um, but also, or from a non male perspective, really. But the other thing about it is that um, sonically it needed it, it needed something bright on the chorus. Um, and although I can sing in a higher octave, it kind of sounds a bit too. Like raggy, do you know what I mean? So um, Jenny was perfect, and she was really humble about the whole thing, and was cool with it. So we got we got Jenny involved, and I'm grateful they got on it. It's great. Then um, also, it kind of dampens the bastard French with a French person on it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of like a little shin guard for when they start swinging their feet around. Yeah, I'm sure they will, especially in Southern. Um, so then, uh, Warren Ellis, he just turned up at the studio because he's friends with Nick Lorne, the producer,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, to surprise us, basically. And we ended up chatting for like three hours, like all of us in the room. And and they were great. Like, Wernes is a great person. I really enjoy the fact that I got to hang out with him and meet a hero who is interested and interesting and, like, just incredible stories. All the shit you want from your heroes, right? Mm -hmm. Like, really, like, engaging with us and what was just hanging out with us. And, like, you just you know you sat there going I'm I friends with Warren Ellis now. I think I think we're friends um, and you just hope you didn't say that out loud in front of him yeah. I mean he's not going to listen to this so it's all good um, uh, so anyway so that was cool and then I, I was just like I, I've got to ask you're here you're in the studio we're recording an album can you just do a like a grime more fire crew kind of ad lib backing vocal that we could so he we just went hey on the records and that's it and then we got to put warren ellis's name to the records which is the most idols thing about the album i think is warren ellis getting on it um jay cullum i met him at the mercury's and then he offered his services. Like, if you ever need piano on your record, and we were like, we absolutely do not need piano, but we definitely need piano now. <laughs> Having Jamie Cullen on it is like, for me, the, jet, the cherry on, on the cake for It's the biggest fucking off of all the kudos, thirsty, ratty little pricks that are desperate to seek. And I'm a big fan of his. Um, I love this radio show. I used to work in the kitchen as a kitchen porter, and um, I just I love the show. And he's he's a lovely man. He's he works hard for what he loves, and that's kind of our ethos. And it was just an it was you know it was a it was a beautiful message to have on our album of difference and what difference actually means. Um, and creating that stark contrast at the start of Killing the Kindness added a, a sonic breather to the record, but it also added a real dynamic to, the, to, to make the start of Killing the Kindness sound even more violent, mm-hmm. which is something that worked beautifully. And obviously getting Jamie Cullin on, on Killing the Kindness as a message was perfect, you know? Like, fuck the clips off with love rather than with more sneering anger. Okay. Who else is on it? Sorry, I realise this is it, It's a bit noisy your end. Tiny bit. No, yes. I'm not All right, I'll try not to move. Uh, who else? Oh, David Yao. David Yao is like, a friend of ours. We met in LA when we were. He just come to our show. This is just like David Yao came to our show, which is amazing, and we couldn't believe it. And then uh. Yeah, we were just, like, uh, talking about getting back in vocals sorted. And Dev, our bassist, normally does it. But his voice is fucked, basically. So we needed, like, a much better version of Dev's vocals on the record. And that was David Yao. Oh, wow. And he's a mate, so... He's he's a mate. Yeah, I mean, he, he's, like, amazing. He's a really nice guy. Um, and really, again, really interesting.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but his voice is sick. It's still amazing. So, yeah. There was no other choice. Like we had, He was the only premeditated feature on the album. Oh, and Colin Webster, of course. Saxophonist from Sex Wing. Like, we wanted sax on the album, and we specifically wanted Colin playing sax because of the way he makes the saxophone sound on Sexwing's first album. And that's, like a texture and a sound you, you couldn't recreate with guitar.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, you could, but it wouldn't be as um, fulfilling.
0: Has the experience of uh, working with all those people or featuring them and now having the, like, the finished article, do you think that's something that you'll look to do moving forwards, maybe more or expand on?
1: No, no, I don't want to collaborate idols-wise ever again, really. I mean, production-wise, we're definitely moving in the right direction. Um, but yeah, like Kenny Beats and Nick Lorne, was a beautiful combination. It's exactly, the, the record sounds almost exactly how we wanted it to sound from the start, from the concept of Ultramono Mono is just a title. We first talked and focused on the sound of the album. So that was imperative to us that we got that right and it worked. Um, But getting other people enrolled, like if it's for texture, yeah, like Colin Webster, David Yao, Jenny Beth, they're textures, you know? I, I don't think I'd ever wanna rely on another singer or anyone doing verses or anything like that. We tried that, it just doesn't work for us. It's not right. Collaboration is about a breadth of sound that you can't get with what you've already got. So you collaborate to to make it what it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. But um I think that's that's what I that's how it works with collaboration with us. But I think getting people to do verses and shit just doesn't work. Yeah. Um so yeah, I mean I definitely we're gonna get more sax involved. Um and maybe, like, I'd love to work with cello, I'd let's get cello on, on a track. I don't know any cello players. Do you know any cello players? No, a pair of
0: flutes. let
1: We can get some flute on if you like. Fuck it. Sweet, thanks. Um, so, yeah, we, we'll collaborate, but, like, mindfully, not just do it because it's, like, another rapper or singer or anything like that. I don't think we'll yeah. do that. Even. Yeah. There's, like,
0: there's such um, buzz around idols. I guess it always has been, but it just seems to every time. You know, when you hear there's a, a murmur of a new album, a tour, a video, even like a piece of merch, there's kind of this excited wave that kind of ripples through your community. Mm. I guess now that fan base is so large, do you feel like there's an increased pressure at all to kind of provide and succeed come September the and kind of beyond? Or do you just kind of do it for yourselves and if people don't like it, they don't like it?
1: Uh, it's a funny one. It's a good question. i know, I know what you're saying. It's, it's not like, oh, if they like it, they like it, if they don't, they don't. Like one of the things that people might not understand is that like this album's release would just be in, coinciding with us touring all the time. So the, the fact that like like because we're not touring, there's a lot more of a focus around it's released as like, it's under the microscope. Do you know what I mean? Like, we are paying attention more to how many pre-sales there's been and how many stream tickets we sold and shit that is completely out of our hands, really. I mean, I do most of our, you know, I do all of our art and design and I do a lot of our marketing stuff uh, or our manager and, and his partner do, but, I mean, it, normally, so once the album's done, like, we're already on, we're writing an album four now, and, like, we've been putting quarantine time down to produce for writing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we've always been quite good with focus and just focusing on work and doing what we love, which is playing live and writing songs. So this, like, focused on releasing, it's just really because it's down to quarantine and COVID. Yeah. Um, that being said we do care we do definitely care but like I feel a lot safer than I ever had before we've got a really like we've got a really good crowd and like it's our best album and it is it's our best album so like I do like to me, if it's the best album, it's the best album. No one else is going to convince me it's not.
0: Yeah.
1: So like, I'm just like, yeah, this is, it is our best album. Might, we might not get as good reviews as Joy or whatever, but it's not as good as Ultra Mono because we're more fluent in Idols now, and it's the best album we could have made, and mm-hmm. it sounds exactly how we wanted it to sound. It's not something I could say for the first two albums. Um, it's concise. It's beautiful. It's exactly what I wanted it to be. It says what I wanted to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so like, I I just think we're safer because of our audience. That's it. We're safer to, to, to carry the on as a career,
0: mm-hmm. which is amazing. That's really exciting that you've your best album. I think that makes it more exciting for people that are waiting to listen to it.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, the, yeah, I'm excited. I haven't listened to it in its entirety for a while. It is definitely our best album, without a shadow of a doubt. The songs that people haven't heard are fucking sick. <laughs> They're like amazing songs. It's a great album. Yeah,
0: I listened to it about half an hour ago. Oh yeah, I love it. it. Model Village
1: is definitely my favourite song, though. Is it? Mm. Ah. The, the angry, the angry song.
0: Yeah, I don't know if it's because I'm from a village, so I like pull in some, try and relate some of it to that. I don't
1: know, it's weird. Yeah, well, I mean, I I grew up in Devon, which is like a village, um, and now just it feels like England is just one big village, yeah, full of kind of subdued racism and and violent racism and violent xenophobia. But there's just a sense of like wanting to wanting to preserve this idea of England that never existed. It's just a bit odd to scary. Um, but yeah, I mean, growing up in Devon was a strange, strange time.
0: Mm-hmm. A
1: lot of beautiful people in villages, um, but the nature of the village is a dangerous beast. Yeah, I
0: agree. In England. Yeah.
1: Where did you grow up?
0: Hampshire.
1: Hampshire. Justin. Winchester. Winchester. There's a good, uh, there's a good album. What's it? Winchester Cathedral. Yeah. Like clinic. That's a fucking great album. Oh, I don't know Hampshire though. Sorry. <laughs> I, got no, I got no vibes. Sorry.
0: It's just where you get the boat to France
1: and stuff. It's that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it near near Kent? No,
0: it's between. Uh, Wiltshire and Surrey. So it's like, have you played in Portsmouth or Southampton?
1: You must have done. Yeah, yeah, both of those. Yeah.
0: Yeah, they're in
1: yeah. Wiltshire. I went to that place that's like the most expensive housing in the world or something. Something Sands. Oh,
0: was that um in Poole? Sand yeah. Sandbank.
1: Yeah. Sandbank. Yeah. I didn't get it.
0: Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? I think, yeah. like, who lives there now? I think Shane Warne used to live there.
1: Randall. shane warne is that a guy who got his teeth done in that
0: yeah,
1: elizabeth hurley's
0: yeah that's it
1: uh partner
0: also i've got to mention that you guys are our album of month for
1: october thank you very much we
0: is you've got an exclusive pressing i think it's all sold out online so people have to go to the shops if they want to get one
1: You know, it does feel like we've grown with Rough Trade, considering, you know, we're not signed to Rough Trade and we've just been supported by you guys through blind faith, which I always really, really appreciate. You know, I don't think people appreciate the pressures on places like record stores, like Rough Trade, to back horses that aren't necessarily part of the popular culture consciousness it's not as simple as going, We well, you should just be supporting, like, you know, it doesn't work like that. You can't just support all the, all the best albums. Otherwise, you know. But, um, no, we, we've, we've gone a long way with you guys and we really appreciate it.
0: When's your next kind of schedule live gig?
1: Um, this next year. Uh, announced, it, yeah, I mean, the UK is May. We've mm-hmm. potentially got some shows in April, but I don't believe it. Yeah, we did have some in March, but they are gone. Yeah. So May, yeah, May our UK dates. May right. and you got four. Are, I, four
0: Brixton
1: dates. Is it four now? Four, yeah. Yeah, and they they're going. They're going. I think we're yeah, we're like literally the, we're the last tickets of all of it now. <laughs> okay. So that's Seeing four Brixtons, that's an O2 arena, isn't it? Oh, easily. I don't know, many, I used to work
0: at Brixton, and there weren't many people that did four in a row, or even four
1: in a year. Yeah, it's it's really amazing. Mm-hmm. Not, I wouldn't ever want to do an O2 arena, just because it's like, Brixton's the, the top, isn't it, really?
0: Yeah. Yeah, the O2's kind of solid.
1: There's been a couple of shows where people have filled it properly and it's felt like, still felt like you're part of it.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, Foo Fighters. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's a, like, it's, that's a dark art. Trying to fill an arena and not make it feel like you're in a giant car park. Yeah. yeah. No, I don't mean fill it with people. I mean, there's, like, fill it with your music and your performances are really... We we wouldn't be able to do that anyway. Not yet. Anyway, we're not nowhere near that kind of level of understanding and performance. but... But yeah, Brixton, can't wait. I cannot wait. Joe, take care. All the best with the
0: album, and we will hopefully see you really,
1: really soon. Thank you so much for your time. I enjoyed your conversation. Look, ma, I'm a soul singer, singing in the faces of the middle finger. So I. Buy my farm and let it linger to say, Fuck you, I'm a lover. If I don't like the music you fake, I just won't listen to the piss you take, Cause sycophants is not a
0: good... Reviews and subscriptions help to support what we do, so if you like what you hear, then please rate us on iTunes.